Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. So prior to starting Indigenuity, as always, I would like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting out from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. And I would like to pay my respect to elders past and present and acknowledge their continued connection to these beautiful waterways, lands and sky country. So today we're going to be speaking to two guests. First guest being Torres Strait Islander actor Aaron Fusso, where we'll be discussing the campaign SWAT for Safety, which implores the importance of protecting ourselves from mosquito-borne diseases like Japanese encephalitis. Then we'll be having a chat with Mary Lauren, who is the co-compiler of the recently released Walpiri Encyclopedic, Encyclopedic Dictionary, Walpiri Yimi Curly Manu Jaru Kolu. Quite sadly, there have been 45 human cases of the Japanese encephalitis virus in Australia since January 2021, with seven people unfortunately passing away as a result. It's expected that those numbers may rise as Australia's wet and warm weather conditions provide the perfect breeding season for mosquitoes. And so it's important for us to understand the ways in which we can protect ourselves and our loved ones from this deadly illness, which leads us to today's guest. So we're about to have a chat to Torres Strait Islander man Aaron Fusso, best known for hosting the hit TV shows Straight to the Plate and ABC's Black Comedy. Aaron has earned a living as a professional footballer, a King's Cross bouncer, a remote community health worker, an acclaimed actor, and most recently as the owner and manager of his own media production company. He's also seen firsthand the devastating effects of Japanese encephalitis virus. And so he is here to talk to us about the recent campaign, SWAT for Safety. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to Indigenuity. Hey, Christy. Um, glad to be on the show and thank you for extending the invitation. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's a pleasure to have you on, especially for something as important as this. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about what this SWAT for Safety campaign is. Oh, look, the SWAT uh, campaign um, is is about making sure that, you know, we've got our screens and our doors all um, in place, making sure that the, that the uh, fly screens and the mosquito screens are all in place, and also making sure that uh, we're wearing uh, AeroGuard going out when we're going out outdoors and wearing the appropriate... Uh, yeah, and also tipping out, tipping out the uh, the water uh, that's uh, around after the rain period, making sure the state. So that that's a extremely um, prevalent place for uh, mosquitoes to breed. So we we want to we want to uh, mitigate those uh, those breeding areas for our trusty friend the mosquito. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This um, this SWAT for Safety campaign, SWAT, it's a, a four-letter acronym standing for S, screens closed, so to make sure that we're keeping our um, our windows and doors, everything shut. We're not letting mosquitoes get in too easy. W for wearing clothes that cover us up. A uh, for applying mozzie repellent. And then T for tipping out those dirty water areas, which you have said are these breeding grounds. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. 
So uh, could you tell us a bit about why it's important to prepare ourselves from these types of mozzie-borne diseases like Japanese encephalitis? Yeah, look, um, you know, our, our communities are quite vulnerable. Um, and, uh, look, it, it's about getting the awareness out there in terms of, look, we've just come out of COVID. Uh, and, you know, there is this rise in, in the Japanese encephalitis and, and how it's and how it's transmuted through mosquitoes as well. Mm. So it's um, it, unlike uh, unlike our, our our near friend the the COVID virus. This one can be transmitted quite easily uh, through through the mosquito bite, and it's about you know making sure that uh, we uh, you know have the have the uh, prevention measures in place because prevention is much better than, than cure, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for something as shockingly uh, deathly as this virus. I've been a bit horrified to learn about uh, the statistics of survivability. It definitely is um, a concerning concerning virus. Oh, yeah, look, absolutely. And um, as a health worker back in the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, the outbreak of Japanese encephalitis, uh, I lost a family member to that. And that's that's on the, you know, the high level in terms of what, what this particular virus can do. Um, but there is a vaccine also that's out there uh, for, for um, not only, you know, for, for mob to protect themselves against as well. Um, you know, it sounds important. Um, if so, if someone, I guess, uh, you know, suspects that you know they've they've been bitten by a mosquito, they're not feeling super well. Um, what are the steps that they should be taking? Is it to contact the, I guess, like local health provider to discuss it? Oh no, absolutely. Like, and and it comes on like like the common flu, but once you start breaking out in the rat in a rash and so forth, um, it would be you know your best, you know. Uh, either your health worker or your health centre to report to, or your local doctor um, to, um, to to assist you in terms of you know um, with those uh, with those symptoms that break out. And I've I've heard mention about um, some sort of misconception surrounding this um, Japan, Japanese encephalitis virus. Um, could you uh, enlighten us a bit about what some of these misconceptions might be? Oh, look, the, the misconceptions are that if you eat pork, you can get. I mean, because they are transmitted through. It's mainly through uh, pigs and also through uh, water birds. Mm. But um, but I can tell you right now that eating a a, a pork loin or a, a a pork rack ribs will not uh, infect you with Japanese encephalitis. Um, so it's it's mainly transmitted. It can only be transmitted through a mosquito bite. So it's about keeping yourself uh, safe and well and using those all. Administering those um, preventative measures uh, against mosquitoes, really. Yeah, perfect. It's actually really fascinating as well. I hadn't realised that potential um, people perceiving that link between the food, when in reality, it's not going to be, um, you're not going to catch it from eating pork, but it is something that we can easily get 
from a mosquito contact, which, I, you know, they're all over the country. It is definitely um, something we should be more aware of in our environment. And we and we, we gotta leave the pork alone. Like the poor pork and the poor pig gets a gets, gets a bad rap. <laughs> it definitely does. It got you know the whole swine flu thing. Uh, not not too long forgotten. Well, blackfellas, we love our pork. <laughs> Pork's good. You know? <laughs> I definitely feel you. <laughs> All right, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for, um, uh, you know, I guess bringing this to the attention of us at the moment, this SWAT for Safety campaign. Um, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Take care. Okay, so we've just been speaking with Aaron Fusso about the uh, the SWAT for Safety campaign. So S-W-A-T, SWAT. Uh, S, screens closed. W, wear clothes that cover up. A, apply mozzie repellent. And T, tip out dirty water. We are trying to keep ourselves safe from mosquito bites. Uh, mosquito-borne illnesses are a major problem around the world. And currently, unfortunately, Australia is experiencing cases of and unfortunately consequent deaths from um, JEV to the Japanese encephalitis virus. Um, so if you want to find out more about that, we can encourage you to look up SWAT for safety. So the result of uh, well, the work of hundreds of Walpuri speakers compiled over more than 60 years, the Walpuri Encyclopedic Dictionary, Walpuri Yumi Curly Manu Jarukuru, has been released by Aboriginal Studies Press, which is the publishing arm of the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies otherwise known as IATSIS. Today we're going to be having a chat with the co-compiler of the Walpuri Encyclopedic Dictionary, which is Mary Loughran. Mary, welcome to Indigenuity. Thank you very much. So this dictionary, uh, it's said to be uh, the work of hundreds of Walpuri speakers over time. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how this dictionary has come about? Well, um, it, well it, it sort of goes back before before um, my um, arrival in Walbrick country, but um, I went there in 1975 as a linguist uh, to support the bilingual education programs that have been um, commenced in a number of communities where people requested them uh, to have uh, schooling in the local language as well as English and also to um, to have literacy, initial literacy, so learning first children learning to read and write in their own language. So... I went to Yindamu, um, which is um, probably the biggest of the Walbury communities, uh, in, um, in 1975 and uh, started working with people uh, to support the various aspects, um, particularly the linguistic aspects of that bilingual program. So the dictionary um, sort of emerged really out of that work. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it's, it's incredible and I can see the value it has, but I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about why, what motivated um, this dictionary being made. Well, um, if, if you're, uh, you know, just as um, we have uh, English at school, we have all sorts of materials that support us to learn to read and write English, to uh, English literature and, and to learn about English uh, culture, etc. We have books, we have dictionaries, we have... You know, all sorts of things. Uh, so the same sort of thing was needed, um, you know, for the schools in the Walbrick communities, um, because um, particularly when I first arrived in Unimur in 1975, um, just about uh, all the children came to school really monolingual in Walbury. They didn't know English, and English was something that you learned at school. So, um, and uh, there were a number of Walbury communities. There were probably about. Um, 
could be over 3,000 uh, Wildberry-speaking uh, people. And uh, one of the things that was really going to be helpful for them was to have, um, you know, word books, dictionaries, um, you know, that sort of material. Yeah, incredible. So that's how I started working on it. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be very comprehensive as well. I read 1,400 pages uh, and definitely goes through a number of topics beyond what I would expect, which would just be sort of like a direct word-to-word translation. But um, there's actually many things that are covered in it, including Walpuri history and cultural practices, information about uh, local fauna and flora, which I think is very cool. Can you tell us a bit about what people can expect to find in this dictionary? Well, um, a lot of the... Uh, the, the, the school programs were not only, you know, bilingual programs, but also bicultural programs. Um, and a, lingu- a very, very clever and renowned American linguist had come and worked on Walbury starting in 1959. Um, he, he did a field trip 1959-60 and then again in 66-67. His name was uh, Kenneth Hale, who taught linguistics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, and... He was a, a really outstanding linguist and he worked on many Australian languages but um, the biggest amount of work he did was with Walbury people um, in Central Australia and um, he had a, a way of collecting oral essays from people so he might ask about a particular bird or, or a weapon or whatever <laughs> and it could be an emotional term, whatever. And um, he worked with some very, very bright um, Welbury speakers who created these really brilliant Welbury essays. And I, I wanted to um, be able to hand that down to the next, you know, generations. Um, in, and so that became part of the dictionary. So we call it an encyclopedic dictionary for that, uh, that reason. So um, that, that was really the, the genesis for... Um, having that sort of material. Oh, wow. And so uh, I, so it sounds like from what you've described that the purpose of this dictionary, I mean, we have 3,000 more Walpuri speakers, um, for many of which uh, Walpuri is their first language, so it does have that benefit of being that translation or that bridge between English and Walpuri, as well as being this comprehensive uh, compilation, this encyclopedia of just a range of um, different insights into Walpuri speaking cultures um so- that's right that, that's right because life life has changed very much since, since the uh, end of the second world war when wild people were sort of brought into settlements and were no longer living the sort of uh, you know traditional life where they were spread out in family groups all over Walby country which is very extensive you know life has changed a, a lot and particularly i'd say in the last 20 years so that the sort of the people that I had the privilege of working with um, and speaking with and learning Welby from uh, were people who had, in the main, led a very traditional life and were able to speak about, you know, the fine knowledge of plants and animals and um, and country and you know um, just the way Welby people think about things, the way they relate to each other. Um, the very intricate kinship um, terminology, um, making very, very fine distinctions, you know, politeness, etc. Um, you know, it was a great privilege to work with those people. But the life of, you know, a young Walby being born today is very different. 
but I think it it's like all of us, we, we like to know our history and uh, to know something about, you know, where our ancestors came from and how they lived, etc. And so that's really um, what these Walbury uh, people, most of whom have now passed away, have been able to bequeath, if you like, you know, to to the younger generations come and the, you know, generations to come. And is this something that you would uh, encourage uh, non Walpri speakers or not, people not in that sort of area um, to be engaging with? Like, is there a value for all readers? Oh, I think so, definitely. I think there's a, a lot of very interesting material that, um, you know, lots of non-Aboriginal people, you know, um, can learn from, you know, reading a lot of these dictionary entries. Um, but also you know, other Aboriginal people in Central Australia. And I think it would be a great thing for, you know, other communities to to work. I mean, there are some very, very good um, dictionaries that have been done over the last probably, you know, 40, 50 years um, documenting, you know, um, um, Aboriginal languages. So this isn't the only one by, by any means. Um, so, and I, I think people really enjoy um, working on language. You know, they're sort of people that love language and, you know, um, it, you find them in all communities. Uh, and certainly among the Walbury, there were people who patiently went through with me, you know, correcting um, my understandings or adding extra, you know, um, ways in which a particular word can be used as different meanings it can have. Um, and I think they really enjoyed that work. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it sounds incredible. Um, I'm, I'm definitely someone who uh, has a, an in, a keen interest in other languages. Uh, and so something like this is just an incredible resource uh, to have on hand. It's phenomenal the amount of work that's gone into it and the broad range of concepts that you cover. It's, it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's exciting. And of course, I haven't done this by myself. So I said, you know, I drew very heavily on the work of... Uh, of, of Kenneth Hale and another linguist before me, and other linguists, um, my contemporaries who who worked with me, uh, like Jane Simpson, David Nash, uh, and others, as well as the Walbury people. Um, you know, there were Walbury people who actually wrote parts of some of the entries, um, as well as the people who patiently um, gave me, you know, um, spoken explanations of the meaning of various words or how it would be used. Um, you know, typical usages, all that sort of thing that one tries to capture if you're trying to, you know, um, give a, a, a sort of a, a rich account of a language's, you know, lexicon, the words of a language. That's very interesting, especially getting oral accounts, because did you um, have any issues with trying to um, at least, like, I guess, like, write in the written word oral accounts? Like, did you, is there clear spellings for for many of the words that you encountered or did that present a challenge? Uh, well, sometimes, you know, as a non-Walby, you don't hear things properly. There are fine distinctions, um, sounds in Walby that, that aren't made in English and vice versa. Um, so perhaps, you know, sometimes one, one doesn't get things quite right. But um, one of the jobs, uh, really, of, of linguists with the bilingual programs was to... Um, in you know consultation with um, local people, people who spoke the various languages, uh, to come up with a standard spelling system, 
and, and that was certainly done for Walbury. So we've used that standard spelling system, which is what uh, children learn to read you know, at school and to write. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Deadly. So uh, this sounds <laughs> sounds excellent. Uh, if any of our listeners want to track down the Walbury Encyclopedia Dictionary, um, how would they be able to find it? They could just do a search on those terms and, and certainly through um, IATSIS, their online shop mm-hmm. you can get it but um, a lot a lot of the re- of the really good um, bookstores also have it like you just do it you know you know google yeah <laughs> I, encyclopedic dictionary it and is. i don't think you'll have any trouble finding it it is it is that way isn't it nowadays i feel a bit silly sometimes yeah. i ask that question because my uh, go-to would be just to um google so uh, for any listeners, it would be for Walpiri, it's W-A-R-L-P-I-R-I, Encyclopedic Dictionary, um, and it should come yeah. up. IATSIS being, was it A-I-A-T-S-I-S? I think I left an A out probably somewhere. but It stands for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, um, the Australian Institute of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. Yep, A-I-A-T-S-I-S. Excellent. <laughs> All right, Mary, thank you so much for your time uh, and thanks for coming, yeah, coming on and having a chat with us. Sounds like a very exciting piece of work. So today we've had two conversations. We spoke to Aaron Fosso by, um, about the SWAT for Safety campaign, about the awareness of mosquito-borne illnesses like Japanese encephalitis. Um, and then we also had a chat with Mary Loughran from IATSIS to discuss the Walpuri Encyclopedic Dictionary. If, you would, if you've missed these conversations and you'd like to listen to them, you can listen back at rrr.org.au, look up Indigenuity, look out by our latest shows um, and uh, treat yourself to <laughs> all of these wonderful conversations. And on this note, um, we're going to say goodbye. We'll see you again same time next week. As always, take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.